Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Okay, let's look at our text now for a little bit if we can. It's in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke. And before we look at the text and go through it verse by verse like we like to do, there's some things that we need to remind you about and <clears throat> what the Holy Spirit is, is doing through the text. There's a reference to two Old Testament things that are important. Number one, uh, we, we'll go back to Adam as the first perfect man. Remember, he was perfect when he was created by, by God. He was without sin. And, but, uh, and then we have Jesus coming along as the second perfect person. And we'll see there's a contrast there between the two that the Apostle Paul makes at some length in the book of Romans. And then there's also a conscious effort to show that there is there, the church, the beginning of the church. Now, the kingdom of God has always existed. The kingdom of God has always existed. And those who, who in the Old Testament era, uh, who finally went to heaven after Jesus was raised from the dead, he took them with him. And then, he, then Jesus establishes something new. He, he shows how Israel... First of all, listen to God because of the miraculous signs that Moses did before Pharaoh. Then they travel to the Dead Sea, or to the Red Sea. It's actually, the, the, the literal translation of the Old Testament text is the Sea of Reeds, R-E-E-D-S. You know what a reed is, that's stuff that grows along ponds and creeks and so on and so forth. So they crossed the Sea of Reeds, and when they did, they had a wall of water on either side and a cloud overhead, for the cloud is nothing but water in a suspended state. And so uh, the Apostle Paul says that, that, that was their baptism. The nation of Israel was baptized. Okay, they believed God. They obeyed God. They were baptized. And then they came out, and then they were tempted. Because you remember at, while Moses was up on the mountain, the people said, hey, we had it better than this when we were slaves. Let's go back to Egypt, so on. And they, they, they behaved awful. So Jesus comes along and says, he, who has been sent by his heavenly Father for a new beginning. I like new beginnings. Because all of us at one time or another need to start over we need to be able to get the past in the rearview mirror at best and be able to start afresh and you need to understand that that he wasn't redoing Israel because Israel had failed the test he was starting all over again Jesus told this in an in an illustration called a parable and he said you remember you don't put New wine, which would be the church, in old wine skins, which would be Israel. You don't do that. It doesn't work. 
We're doing a new thing. And this new thing is not based on rules and regulations. Because if we cannot live up to the rules and regulations, all they do is make it conscious, uh, conscious of the fact that we are all failures. Because sooner or later, we break the rules, even though we believe in them and think they're good. Rules, somebody has said, probably incorrectly, but they said it, are to be broken. Well, they aren't. They're really there for our benefit. But the Old Testament is a system of rules called the law. The New Testament under the new king, because the kings of Israel were all flawed. God wanted to be their king, but they said, no, we want one with skin on like the nations. And instead of influencing the nations for God, the nations influenced them for evil. They were failures. And they need to start all over again. And what Jesus is doing here is showing that compared to the Israel, compared to Israel, Jesus is a success. Israel was a failure. So he's going to say, Jesus knew the will of God of his heavenly father. He said, I perfectly obeyed it. Then he came to his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan River and was baptized. And just like Israel coming through the Sea of Reeds, he was baptized in the water there. And then he's tempted just like Israel was, but the temptation that Jesus exper experienced was a tad different. He got an A+. Israel got an F. Now let's look at the text and see what's really here. And you need to understand that it's, this is really a test, not just, not just a temptation, but it's a real test for Jesus. And you'll notice there's the, the, the word for temptation is often has three different, the text will determine whether it's a test, a trial, or a temptation. I wrote in the little thing that we put on the internet what my mother used to say to us when the three boys that she would lecture periodically. Well, quite often, because my two brothers were pretty bad. That's supposed to have some humor to it for those of you who are kind of sleepy. But anyhow, she would say, boys... You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. For those of you who remember Lum and Abner, that's where that came from. That's an old Edward saying. Jesus has been baptized. And we go from there starting at verse 1 of chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, John the Baptist is a rare bird. From the time that he was a baby, he was full of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you see, the Spirit of God would come and go. 
He would come and he'd go. Whenever there was a job to be done that a human couldn't do on his own, the Spirit of God would come upon him like Samson, whoever, Elijah, whichever one. You can pick them. The Spirit of God would come upon them and they would be able to accomplish the will of God, but then the Spirit of God would withdraw when they would insist on having things their way. But in the New Testament, we have a different situation. The Spirit of God, who's always the source of power, you remember the opening chapter of the book of Acts? He, said, he promised that the church would receive the Holy Spirit who would be give them power. The power wasn't just to show off, even though that happened at times for signs and wonders. But the power was there to give us the strength to pass the test when temptation comes. And it always does. Always does. So he says, Jesus, Jesus then, who was God in the flesh, but he was baptized, as we were taught last week, he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, to set an example for us to follow, not because he needed to be baptized. Because, and, and at that time, you remember, the Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove as a demonstration to the people that when they were baptized, the Spirit of God would come and indwell us. But the beauty of the New Testament practice that God instituted was that when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, He stays put. Now there's a danger here because people have a tendency to think that when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it's, a, it's some great feeling. And it could be. But not necessarily. Because it's really God keeping His promise. That's all it is. But we have a tendency sometimes to judge God by our feelings. That's as dangerous as a cocked gun. Every false teacher and every false doctrine that ever came up the road that was very successful had a big, good-looking leader, and he had people to respond emotionally. Emotions are not dependable. They come and they go. But the truth is always the same. And that's the reason the Bible says, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His truth doesn't change with the times or the feelings of people. And it's not confirmed by feelings. It's confirmed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Jesus, then, full of the Holy Spirit, returned he, from the Jordan where he was baptized. And now this next one you need to underline. I don't care. Circle it. Keep it in your mind because you'll miss it if you don't look at it. It says, was led by the Spirit in, out to the wilderness. The Spirit of God who came upon him then led him out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now the Spirit of God is never going to lead you into a situation that you're going to fail. This thing was cut and dried. The sucker here is the devil. He doesn't realize, now he knows who Jesus is, but he's such a sucker. He's so 
proud of himself, so egotistical and arrogant that he thinks he has a, a fighting chance against God in the flesh. Jesus is viewed as the new Adam to start all over again. Well, during this time, verse 2 says where he's in the, in the wilderness or in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And so he has a physical need. Actually, we were taught in the past here by Matt and, and Eddie that at the end of 40 days, the body begins feeding on itself, and starvation begins. He was really hungry. Devil knew that, so he said to him, If you are the Son of God, all right, time to back to look again. You remember me teaching you that there are four ifs in the Bible? These are called conditional clauses. They introduce a conditional clause. And, they're, and so there are four conditions. First class condition says, if it is true, and it is. Second class condition says, if it is true, and probably is. Third class condition says, if it is true, but it's probably not. Fourth class condition says, if it is true, but it isn't. And if, when you use the first class condition that if it is true, you can, you can remove the if and put in a S-I-N-C-E, since it is true. And you're still being fair in the translation of the Greek text. So Satan was saying here, since you are the Son of God... He knew who he was. You remember even the imps of hell knew who he was. You remember when he was when Jesus cast the demons out in, into the swine and they said to him, you know, they recognized him as who he was. Satan knew exactly who he was. Since you're the son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. I know you're hungry. Now, if you were to go to most of the Middle East countries, we're talking about Israel now, if you would have gone with me in the past, you would, in, in the city of Jerusalem, or maybe Tel Aviv, or maybe Jericho, or maybe in Nazareth, early in the morning, you would see people walking the streets with a great old big tray, maybe this big around, stacked with loaves of bread. Now, a loaf for them is not what we call a loaf. A loaf for them is a thing that looks like a great old big pancake, kind of thick. And they really make good bread. And if you cover that sucker with, with, a, with good butter, not margarine, but really good butter, and then put some marmalade on top of it, you'll think you've died and gone to Kentucky. It is really good eating. And so, and they knew that. And their marmalades are really good and they're fresh because their oranges are shipped all over the world. The Jaffa orange, and they're just really, really good. An orange marmalade, about that thick on top of that butter. Have y'all had any breakfast? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyhow, with this image in his mind, because that's the way they did it then, too. It hadn't changed any. Satan was saying, hey, would you like to have a bite of that? 
He knew Jesus would really like to have that. But Jesus did remember now. Remember this. Keep in mind. He was not only filled with the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Spirit of God who was with him right there. And the Spirit of God, he didn't have to with Jesus, but he does with us. He calls to our memory the Scripture that we need to face that particular moment. That's assuming that you read your Bible faithfully as you should. Because he's talking to believers here. He's not talking about the world out there. So Jesus quoted from his Bible. Now the Bible, at that time the New Testament had not been written. So he's quoting from the Old Testament. And this particular instance, he's quoting from the 8th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Verse 3, when he says, Man does not live by bread alone. Now, you could go ahead and there's more you can add to that, but that's sufficient there. So he's being tempted there for his physical necessities. We are often tempted that way too. And we live in a materialistic society, don't we? Where we think from the time we're a little bitty kid, boy, if I had that, I'd be happy. And there's, there's no, I don't care if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, you're still not going to be happy. Happiness or contentment comes from knowing that you're living in the midst of the will of God with all your perfections, imperfections, you know that I'm committed to being an obedient follower of Jesus so that I can be a light to unbelievers. Jesus said to his followers, you're the light of the world. Keep that in mind. And if you're obedient to me with the right attitude, you're like a city sitting on a hillside. Everybody sees it and is aware of it. Oh, that you may not always know it, but you're being watched if you're a believer. All of us are. So Jesus is number one, test number one. Now, he's going to be tested in three different times here. Do you ever think about the number three? I don't know whether any of you here are honest enough to admit that you've been to somewhere and shot dice, gambled, whatever, or not. But where did the idea that in baseball, three strikes and you're out? I wonder where that came from. Why wasn't it two strikes? Pitchard would rather have it that way. Or why wasn't it four? No, it's three. I wonder where that came from. I suspect that the scripture has far greater influence in our culture in things we don't talk about than we're willing to admit. Three strikes and you're out. Yeah. Three times. And I've heard, because I, in all honesty, I've never shot craps. I have friends who have. And somebody told me that if you roll the dice and got a three, you crapped out, whatever that means. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. But some of you do know, because I can tell by the grin on your face. You know, and that's all right. 
You're saved by grace. All righty. Let's keep on going. By the way, gambling probably has such a bad name because you remember when Jesus died at the foot of the cross, the Roman soldiers were gambling for his robe. I doubt if gambling is as bad as gossip. But that's just an opinion. Let's keep on going. Number two. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in, the, in, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. I will make you a king of the world. Now the irony of this is that he was talking to the king of kings. And saying, I'm going to make you a king? Oh, come on. Not only is he talking to a king, he's talking to a king that ultimately, and the king knows this, that ultimately every knee will bow and every tongue will confess who he is. And the devil is saying, hey, man, look what I can. And Satan does have primary control from the day that Adam sinned. See, Adam was born perfect. When he was created by God, God looked at it and said, this is a good deal. I've done good. But he sinned and rebelled against God in order to do what he wanted. And the entirety of creation was affected. Weeds start growing. Grapes start rotting. Figs started rotting. Women who had just had babies to pop out like, like, you know, and now it's pain in childbirth. The totality of creation that God had made perfect was corrupted by one man's sin. And every one of us have been negatively affected by it ever since. Because we are born with a propensity for disobedience. And all have sinned, the Bible said, and come short of the glory of God. And Satan, therefore, is in control of everybody. I honestly believe this. Can I prove it? No. Just an opinion. See, I think Satan has some strong influence on the weather. I honestly do. Yesterday, several people died in the south as a result of the weather. Now, what does the Bible say that Satan majors in? He's a liar, a thief, and a murderer. We live in a fallen world, and Satan... And, you know, and I'm troubled by a lot of this. And I have to kind of hustle here to get done. Many years ago, we needed a theological school to train preachers beyond the four years. And several of us got together, and in, down in Johnson City, Tennessee, we started a school. And, 
and, and a, a family, Phillips family, who had, uh, and they were from Pennsylvania, had millions of dollars in oil money, said that they would finance it. They gave us, a, at that time, several million dollars just to get it started. And they gave another hundred million to endow. That's several shekels. I got to help hire some of the staff that started Dr. Nakarai, a world-famous Old Testament, spoke and wrote about 12 different languages, little bitty Japanese brilliant man who was godly, and he loved the Lord, and he believed the Bible. A fellow by the name of Dean Everest Walker we hired, Dr. Walker. Well, he wasn't really a doctor. He, he got all of his work done at Edinburgh, but when he insisted that the New Testament pattern for baptism was immersion in water, those Presbyterians <laughs> wouldn't grant him his Ph.D. But he was a godly good man. And since then, they would hire, they've hired guys that don't even believe the devil exists. They don't even believe in a hell, and they're teaching preachers that. They're saying, you know, God wouldn't have a, have a hell. And Satan is just some figure that, of mythology. You want to know what's wrong with the church today is it's really kind of simple. Unless you believe that this is the inspired, infallible word of God, you got yourself a problem. I even believe the cover where it says Holy Bible. And I wouldn't waste my time going to a church that didn't believe that the Bible is God talking to us with the assistance of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand. Jesus did when he quoted the Old Testament. So Satan says, hey, now this is a spiritual thing. He said, if you will worship me, the word for worship in the New Testament is kind of easy. It actually means to kiss toward. Throw a kiss toward. Throw your affection toward. And Satan was saying to Jesus, you do me that way. And I'll make you this king. Jesus must have chuckled under his breath. You're offering me the kingship when I'm already the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That Jesus then quoted again from the book of Deuteronomy. This time it's the sixth chapter, verse 13. And he said, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Two times out of three, Satan has swung at a fastball and missed it. Third time, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, the word for temple, there's two words for temple in the Greek text. One means the temple grounds, and the other means the holy of holy area. This one is the temple grounds. He took him to the temple grounds. And I can speculate, and I think with some dependability, on exactly where that was. Because on the east side of the temple grounds, where there's a wall there, the Kidron Valley runs there, and it's really steep down to it. 
So if you jumped off of there, you would go all the way to the creek because the Kidron's just really a creek. He led him up there and he said, if you're the son, no, he didn't say that. He said, since you are the son of God, first class condition. Since you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. And now Satan starts quoting scripture. Every false teacher that I've ever met, every self-centered preacher who was primarily interested just in himself has always been Look good. I've never liked big preachers. Big good looking preachers, I should say. I like the little scrawny cute ones. I don't know why you think that's funny, but anyway. But he, com- he starts quoting scripture. He will command, he said, the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus again quotes scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, this time in the 6th chapter. Verse 16 that says, Do not put the Lord your God to a test. But he did. And Jesus got an A+. But the scripture doesn't quit there. And this is where you better watch what you're doing. Luke then writes in verse 13, When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him, get this, until an opportune time. That sucker doesn't give up even when he strikes out. Satan is at least persistent, And who does he spend his time working on? Please understand, he doesn't waste his time on sinners. They're already in his camp. He spends his time working on folks like you and me. You and me, who've heard the word of God, have been baptized in water, And then after you have been converted and baptized and you come out, you're going to face temptation. I told this story last night. I thought my wife was going to beat up on me, but uh, she relented. When I was, before I retired, I retired from working out in the world when I was 62 years old. In that period of time, I had visited at work over 40 countries. Wherever there was an iron-making facility of any size, I I was there. Dr. Macho, one of the engineers who traveled with me, had a Ph.D. uh, from Temple University. He was a Mexican Catholic. In most cases, that means he's nothing. We were in... We had been invited to come to Brazil. And we flew into Brazil, spent a night there in the, where we had flown in and then got on a, one of these kind of planes and went up to a place called Belo Horizonte. Belo Horizonte is in the mining area because 
Brazil has the best iron ore. Their hematite and, and, and magnetite is, is the best in the world. As a result of that, the Japanese are there. The Germans are there. Brazil has a large number of iron-making facilities, blast furnaces, foundries. But they are always located down where there's a lot of water. They need that water for cooling purposes on the furnace. And it's just hotter than purgatory down along the rivers of Brazil. I mean, it's miserable. Mosquitoes big as crows. I mean, it's just a horrible place. And so the people who own and run the places have moved up to the high place called Pretty Horizon. Belo Horizonte just means a, a pretty horizon. And it's up a few thousand feet above sea level, and it's comfortable and beautiful, and it's a lovely town. We flew in there, and there were probably, and we were invited, after we'd had some meetings, we were invited to go to a dinner theater. And it was really nice. The food was fantastic because Brazilian beef is pretty good. There were people there from South America, both they were from Chile and Peru, Argentina, as well as Brazil, because all those places I have visited because they have iron-making facilities there. We had that wonderful dinner, and they even had, I mean, the performers were really good. Most of them were beautiful young women, I'm guessing between 25 and 35, and they did that same play, I'm certain, often. There were probably two to three hundred of us there from I don't know how many different countries. Australia for sure, because Australia has the largest mining company in the world. And they're there. And after it was over, now look, you've got, you've got two or three hundred men. And they're in this building, and it's been a beautiful evening. And then they have, at the, end, at the end of their performance, they were singing a song, and all the girls, all of a sudden, not all of them, but most of them became topless among all those men. And then they walked out around the tables, and the, let, the guy let it be known that these girls would go to your room and sleep with you if you wanted them to for whatever amount of money. Dr. Macho was sitting next to me, and he kicked me under the table and said, because the Mexicans always referred to me as a married priest. He kicked me under the table, and he said, Hey, Padre, what are you going to do? I'm telling you this story simply because you need to know that out here in our world today, even for the baptized believers, there is significant testing and tempting. These were beautiful, young, partly clad women. I don't mind telling you. I looked, but was about half nauseated at the thought 
because I've been married to the same woman for 62 years, and during that 62 years, I've never touched another woman. Now you wonder, and she said, what's this have to do with testing and temptation? Well, she's blind, deaf, and dumb, I guess. But here's the problem we face, folks, and why we need to talk about it. Do you have any idea? I just learned this. Do you have any idea what the age is of the, of, of the average age of the people, boys and girls, who are first introduced to pornography? In the U.S., 11 years old. We have teachers here in, in, in our county who tell our children, you're nothing more than a highly evolved animal. And then wonder why they do some of the things they do. Let me tell you something, folks. Your sexual behavior is one of your primary testimonies of your faith in Jesus Christ. And the number of people who keep their vows through life, because this is the test for most of us. The number of people who keep their vows that they make before God and a family until they die is very few. I want to be one of them. I'm going to be one of them. Some of you can't because that day is past. You've already messed up. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus started the thing where there are new beginnings? From now on, you don't have an excuse. You say, well, that woman gets on my nerves. Well, Dick Tracy, they all do, as if we don't get on theirs. Heck, there are times when I purposely try to get on her nerves, just to see what the results are going to be. I don't recommend that, but uh, now, Jesus, you see, was the second Adam the first Adam failed, and everybody messed up. The and, and, and the result was death. The second Adam comes along, and he succeeds, and he says, I'll give you eternal life. I give you life, not death. And so he's saying, look. Here's what I want you to do if you're going to be my follower. I want you to deny your fleshly desires and seek first the kingdom of God. And if you do, I'm going to bless you like you cannot believe. Now, we just have a little bit of time left, so let me do something here. I, there are two other passages that I put in your outline that you need to look at. Number one is when you do mess up, if you do, if the test comes and you fail, who do you blame? Some people blame God. Men blame the women. Women blame the men. Kids blame the both. 
But here's what the Bible says. You go to the book of James, starting at chapter 1, starting verse 12, says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial or testing or temptation, all the same word. Because when he has stood the test, that means he's passed, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, the Apostle Paul referred to this same passage in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy when he was facing death. He knew he was going to have his head cut off by Nero. And he said to young Timothy, the preacher, that he was saying, now you're, you're going to take over the church in Ephesus. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness that's going to be given to me by the Lord, and it's not just for me only, but it's for all them also who love his appearing. He goes ahead and said in verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So what is the problem? But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. Enticed? Remember Bella Horizonte and the beautiful young women? Enticed? Then after desire has conceived, because every man, every normal healthy man is quickly, quickly enticed by sexual allurement. And if he gives in to that, and after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. telling you folks you can sure sleep better when you've been obedient to the Lord you're going to run into some real dandies you're going to be tempted just like Jesus for physical needs because we live in a society that defines success by how much money you make and that's as dangerous as sexual sin. Satan, you remember at the end of that temptation, said he looks for the opportune time. He looks for it. And there is a time in all of our lives when we are vulnerable. And Satan knows when that is and he moves in. And you had better have some scripture. And I recommend one that you can, can't forget and that any idiot can remember. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, if you can't remember that, you better join the Catholics. In every Catholic country I've ever been in, the morals are worse there than anywhere else. And I don't know why, but I know it's true. Now then, I'm going to give you one other passage of Scripture. we got three minutes, and then we'll stop. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, 
the Apostle Paul is writing to a church whose moral, the morals of that city make Scioto County look like heaven. It was really corrupt and bad. Here's what he wrote to them. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. In other words, you need to be aware that because of who we are and our propensity for sin, when you think you've got it together is when you're the most vulnerable. You have to rely on the Lord and we have to rely on each other for encouragement and sometimes for help. We don't need condemnation, but we need a hand up. Someone to hug us and pray for us. That's what fellowship really is. Then he goes ahead and says this, No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. In other words, you think you're different, you're not. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, how can he say that? He's not talking to lost people now. He's talking to believers. What happens to you? You believe the word. You're baptized. You receive the Holy Spirit. And you have the same Holy Spirit there to assist you in your time of temptation that Jesus had when he was victorious so you can be victorious too. That's what he's saying. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. There is a way of escape. Keep in mind, Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. You better have that at the tip of your tongue. And say to him, either out loud or in your heart, I'm a child of the King of Kings, and I'm going to live my life so that people will believe me when I say, I am a Christian. I wear the name of the King, Christ himself. And I don't care who knows it, wherever I am. When I was working in the steel mills, I actually, over a period of time, I'll brag a little here, not meaning to be that way, but they, for a long time, for a year or two, would at Armco in particular, because it was close here, they knew I was a preacher, and so they tried to do things that would embarrass me and give me a hard time. And they, and these were really pretty good guys. They just have, they thought that was fun. After about three years of time. I became an unpaid chaplain for the Armco Corporation. I did the kids' weddings. I did their parents' funerals. What I'm telling you is, stay faithful. God is faithful. 
you stay faithful and people will come to rely on you as a child of the king. Amen? Lord, dismiss us with the sense of your abiding presence and bless us this evening because, Lord, we're really going to need your help. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.